Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, new all-time highs. Gas prices drop, but not at the pump. And coin of the day. That's coming up on the Decrypt Daily. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is Monday, November 8th, 2021. We have a slow news day today, but don't worry. I'm going to try my best to fill it up. Uh, I got a letter yesterday that I want to read to you and I want to comment on, and this is from Tom. And Tom says, hey, Matthew, I was thinking about your comments you made several times in one form or another regarding stable coins. It seems like your position is that it would be common sense for USDC stable coins to be backed 100% by dollars or short-term treasury notes. In a vacuum, I wouldn't object strongly and might be agreeable to that. However, I feel like the same standard isn't applied to the rest of the banking financial system. I don't know how familiar you are with fractional reserve portion of our system, but by definition, banks don't have all your funds available. Now, maybe you intentionally want to hold crypto to a higher standard. If so, that's fair. If you were to support some sort of legislation around the stablecoin market, I personally feel the way to go would require transparency, maybe monthly audit reports that reveal how much stablecoins is in circulation, how much the value is backed by cash, treasury, or corporate bonds, or other. Then the public would have the information to decide which stablecoins are backed sufficiently. Just my two cents. Would love to hear more about your ideas and your crypto frameworks. Thank you, Tom. Tom, great point, great question, great email. And, well, now you have to hear my comments. So you brought up fractional reserve banking in terms of stablecoins. And I don't think that's a fair comparison. And let me explain. First, stablecoins is a new financial product. And in its name, stablecoins, it's supposed to be stable to a certain backed product. And we want it to be backed by the dollars or the euros or the pounds or even gold that it represents. And, and that's one thing that's you know a very big ethos of the crypto space right now is that when we went off the gold standard for the U.S. dollars and it wasn't backed by gold anymore, and fiat currency is the new way that we're dealing with our U.S. dollars and uh, currencies or monies all around the world, and we're seeing that, you know, QE and, you know, the printing of money when, when needed uh, to be either get us out of the pandemics or through recessions or bailout companies or bailout banks, that this is a practice that is, one, causing a lot of inflation, allowing a lot of irresponsible spending, a lot of irresponsible practices. And, yeah, I think that it is because that we are looking for new ways of creating a financial system. And that's why Bitcoin, if you, you know, go through the Bitcoin white paper, which, by the way, I read on a different podcast. It's called the OK Boomer Educational Podcast. So if you want to go look at that podcast or listen to that podcast, uh, you can hear the Bitcoin white paper. I read it and I'm going through like very basic 101 educational um, topics about the Bitcoin cryptocurrency space. And if you read the book, The Bitcoin Standard, you can see that going from a gold standard or a backed or stable standard to a fiat kind of like <laughs> we're going to print money or willy nilly whenever we want standard. It's been you know very detrimental to governments or societies or civilizations or nations in the past. And you know what? I think there's a threat of it here, especially if you have, you know, converging crises uh, when you talk maybe banking and pandemics and, you know, uh, maybe military conflicts that have enforced people to 
print more of this money, we're going to see that, you know, there is going to be inflation, there's going to be the stabilizing of the dollar, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty when it comes to the job markets and earnings and savings and markets and uh, the economy and, and all kinds of different things. And I think that Bitcoin and uh, these different kind of systems that are coming out are trying to kind of correct those things. And going back to this fractional reserve banking in general, I don't think that people really think that that's a good idea, that their money isn't in the bank, that if there's a run in the banks, that they won't give you money and then they'll lock their doors. I don't think that anybody thinks that's a good idea. So I would really try to, you know, kind of push away from that kind of ideas or that kind of, you know, practices just because they're there now doesn't mean that they're the best practices to have. So, yeah, I do personally believe that stable coins should be backed by the dollar or the pound or the asset that they represent one to one and in full value. Secondly, I think that if you were talking about fractional reserve banking and the practices of fractional reserve banking, it wouldn't follow under the stable coin market. Uh, stable coins are there for a reason, to be stable coins. But if we're going to use stable coins in a banking practice or a lending practice like fractional reserve, uh, I think that would fall under the, the different categories or industries or products or companies that are coming out right now. For example, DeFi, I think it could fall under DeFi. Is there like a fractional reserve DeFi practice? Would it be uh, applicable to companies like BlockFi or Voyager or any kind of lending platform, um, Celsius, that you put your USDC in there? They have a stable um, amount of capital within their lending system. And then they use this fractional reserve process to, you know, lend out more money, create more uh, income and revenue for themselves with calculated risk to understand that most people aren't going to pull their USDC or stable coins out of their systems in a, uh, you know, a very quick fashion. And that most people aren't going to default on their loans and most people are going to pay them back in a timely fashion. And they'll be able to balance this risk across their different, you know, portfolios of lending in, you know, allocated risk. So I think that would fall under either DeFi and DeFi doing that, or these lending protocols doing that, or these actually Coinbase or Gemini with these lending protocols doing a fractional reserve sort of practice. But it wouldn't fall under stable coins. And the, my final point of this is that when you talk about stable coins being fractional reserve and fractional reserve banking, we're not talking about the value of the currency when you're talking about fractional reserve banking. We're talking about banks lending more money than they have in their bank. But when we're talking about the value of the dollar, the bank has in possession, we're still talking about the same dollar. It's still $1. So it's not like they're devaluing the dollar at the at the time of lending. They're saying, oh, that this dollar is only worth 10% of the dollar. No, their dollar is still worth a dollar. They're just lending more of the dollars than they have. So if they have $1, they might be lending 10 but I guess that's what I'm looking at when it comes to stable coins. Stable coins are acting as the dollar, the pound, the euro, or the currency. To have a fractionally backed currency doesn't make sense because that just turns you into a fiat system um, where it's just kind of like we print as much as we want, but there's no kind of value behind it. So it's like if a bank is using a dollar, the bank has a dollar. And just because it lends out $10 on that dollar doesn't mean that the dollar is still not worth a dollar. Anyway, I hope you understand what I'm saying. And I think that they're two different things. So yes, good email, but stable coins are different than the practices of lending and banking than having just value in the dollar or in the stable coin. Now to those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. And I'm recording this at nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is sitting at $65,560, up 5.8% in 24. Just FYI, the all-time high for Bitcoin was set 19 days ago at $66,930. So basically, if we hit $67,000, you can see new all-time highs. Ethereum is sitting at $4,728, 
up 2.5% in 24. Well, it hit an all-time high of an hour ago at $4,762. It's only down 0.9% from its all-time high, and I have a feeling we're going to get a new all-time high today again in the very, very near future. Binance is sitting at $645, down 2.7%. Solana's in the number 4 spot at 244 down 2.8%. And Tether's in the number 5 spot. Running off the top 10, we have Cardano, XRP, Polkadot, Dogecoin, and USDC. SHIB, by the way, is at number 11. Total market cap, we're at $2.85 trillion, by the way. The total market cap crossed $3 trillion, but on CoinGecko. It did not cross the $3 trillion mark on coin market cap. The total market cap of the crypto space is all of the market caps added up together, and then that's the total market cap. Um, and if you have more tokens or more obscure tokens or smaller tokens or tokens that might have not been uh, been put on coin market cap for one reason or the other, or is not valued the same on coin market cap as on coin gecko, you can see that difference. But the crypto space has hit $3 trillion market cap. And by the way, Bitcoin accounts for $1.23 trillion of that, with a BTC dominance of 43.3% and an F dominance of 19.6%. And now it's time for Coin of the Day. Our Coin of the Day today is number 622 on Coin Market Cap. It's Belt Finance, ticker, pretty obvious, B E L T. Price $6.41, down 4% in 24. Current market cap is $52.1 million. Fully diluted market cap is $52.1 million. All of the belt is in supply. Belt's all-time high was eight months ago at $201. It's down 96% since then. All-time low was $6.03 set a month ago. Where can you buy belt? PancakeSwap, LBank, Indodax, and let's see what Belt Finance does. Belt Finance, or Belt.fi, is a protocol that allows users to maintain the stability of their asset positions and get maximum yields with minimal risk, introducing automated vault compounding and yield optimization strategies. Belt is a governance and incentivization token of Belt Finance. Belt will be distributed in all types of pools. By the way, that was from CoinMarketCap. From the website, it says, an exchange, fund, and advisor all rolled up into one. Earn reliable yields, exchange assets, and let Belt do the optimization for you. Well, that's Belt Finance, number 622 on CoinMarketCap, ticker B-E-L-T. Moving into some headlines, and like I said, we have a slow news day, so we only have a couple here. Ethereum. As we know, it just hit its all-time high, and usually when Ethereum goes up in price, so does the gas fees. Well, the gas fees are down, uh, down 35% about. They were at $56 on the average gas fee for Ethereum. Now, they're around $37. So, that's a win for trying to control fees on ETH. And by the way, since I was talking about pronunciation the other day, somebody wanted to email me and talk about the ETH or ETH discussion and it's been a debate for many many years the hill i will die on is that it is called f not eth but f and somebody told me well vitalik buterin the the founder of ethereum says eth well then i say joe lubin the co-founder of ethereum says f <laughs> so i don't know there's a lot of different pronunciations for eth and f or it's the ticker eth don't care how you pronounce it 
I'm going to continue to pronounce it Eth, not ETH, and that's the hill I will die on. China's crypto exchange Huobi anticipates a 30% drop in its revenue in the wake of China's crackdown on cryptocurrency, according to its co-founder, Du Jun. Speaking to the Financial Times, Jun said the exchange was in the process of stopping all services to its Chinese users by the end of 2021. There will be no Chinese users on the platform, so our revenues from these clients are going to zero. If you guys remember earlier this year, the Chinese government embarked on a sweeping crackdown against uh, cryptocurrency, so they told all the miners to get out they told everybody that you can't trade or hodl or i mean you can't stop them hodling but there's not you're not trading if you're chinese in china and well there's a couple reasons for that one china said that they're taking the miners out of china because they wanted to you know cut their co2 emissions and become more green when it comes to uh their power grid and so on and so forth they also are rolling out their cbdc or the central bank digital currency for the yuan and they're you know piloting that in shanghai and in beijing so maybe they just don't want competition so they're kicking the competition out well when the miners left you know who's benefiting the usa a lot of that hash rate came here to the usa and to many countries all over the world so at one point china was boasting 60 percent of the bitcoin hash rate but now we are all benefiting from it thank you china for kicking the miners out and finally, New York Mayor-elect Eric Adams appears to be doubling down in his pro-crypto stance. And he says that schools should be incorporating cryptocurrency studies into their curricula. And I couldn't agree more. 100%, Eric. 100%. You know, I did my MBA back in Taiwan, and I really wanted to focus on cryptocurrency for my thesis or, you know, just learn about it. Because I feel like, you know, how can you do an MBA without understanding about this new emerging businesses, DeFi, crypto, ICOs, you know, things like that. But they were just so far behind. And I think education really needs to catch up on this emerging tech. Crypto is just one of them. But there's so much that should be incorporated into schools so we can just get people thinking about the emerging tech. Anyway, I love the idea. Eric Adams said this, in quote, We must open up our schools to teach technology, to teach this new way of thinking, end quote. Adams, as you remember, is taking his first three paychecks in Bitcoin. In response to Mayor Francis Suarez of Miami taking his next paycheck in Bitcoin. Suarez, for being the mayor of Miami, received $97,000 a year in salary as of 2018, according to the New York Post. Adams, being the mayor of New York City, receives $258,000 a year. So it's a little bit of difference of the money that they're going to receive in Bitcoin. However, they're still putting their money where their mouth is. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Deemer. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts. Like, subscribe, share, and leave us a comment. And like I said, there's a new educational podcast that I'm doing once a week because I just love educating in the crypto space. It's called the OK Boomer Educational Podcast. Check it out. Link is in the show notes. And until tomorrow, happy hodling, everyone. <laughs>